I just see the pie getting bigger because people will still want that social experience. I know I do. I don't want to make all my coffees at home and, and never go to a cafe or, or an espresso bar again. Now we're in the midst of recovery, and the hope is that with vaccination and suppression of the virus and good government policy, we'll get back to normal by 2022. But we spent numerous weeks and tests and trials, and I can honestly say that the delivery part of our business, it's grown in excess of 500% since those pre-COVID periods. Welcome to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of coffee business magazine, Fifth Wave. 12 months ago, the global hospitality industry was confronted with its biggest crisis in many generations. And many believe the global economy has never seen such disruption since World War II. Fortunately, compared to a year ago, we can at last now see the light at the end of the tunnel. Vaccines have been developed in record time, and the vaccination programs across the world are forging ahead rapidly. And as the world slowly opens up and cafe owners return to some form of normality, they're asking themselves, should we be cautious or optimistic? From the conversations I'm having, I believe there's a lot to be positive about. And in today's episode, we're exploring the positive business trends that have emerged from the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll speak with Darren Levy, CEO of South Africa's largest coffee shop chain, about the innovations he is bringing to African coffee drinkers. We also speak with Phil McKnight of Breville and Sage Appliances to understand why he believes the coffee market will grow even more, both in the home and in the cafe, once consumers are back on the streets again. But we're kicking off with a broad macro perspective by speaking with Ira Kalish, Chief Global Economist for Deloitte. Ira lays out for us what effect COVID has had on the global economy and how quickly he expects global GDP to rebound. In terms of economic impact, Ira believes there is much to be optimistic about. Accelerating vaccine rollout plans, especially in the US, robust consumer spending, and global demand fueled by the recent US stimulus bill. I'm delighted to be here today with Ira Kalish, who's the Chief Global Economist at Deloitte. Wonderful to have you here, Ira. Thanks very much for having me. What financial impact has COVID had on the global economy, especially sort of world GDP? There's a big question for you. Absolutely. So clearly 2020 was a year like no other. We had a catastrophic drop in economic activity all over the world. Real GDP fell at the fastest rate since we started recording these things. And now we're in the midst of recovery. And the hope is that with vaccination and suppression of the virus and good government policy, we'll get back to normal by 2022. What does the outlook look like for the next three to five years? I'm cautiously optimistic. My expectation is that in the advanced economies, the US, Western Europe, Japan, we'll see economic activity return to uh, a pre-pandemic level sometime in 2022. And I think for many other emerging markets, it might take till 2023. But getting there will involve very rapid growth initially, and then growth will peter out and go back to a more normal level. Specifically, North America, the world has said, you know, when America catches a cold, the rest of the world gets a flu. Are we expecting to see a Biden bounce? Is America set to boom? I think so. We're in the midst here in the United States of a a massive and almost unprecedented fiscal stimulus in the past year. 
the Congress has passed close to $6 trillion of additional spending, money that will be spent over a two-year period. The Congress just recently, in the last few weeks, passed a $1.9 trillion stimulus plan that involved sending a check for $1,400 to 85% of Americans. And there's a lot of other money being spent as well. The OECD has estimated that this program will increase global GDP growth this year by one percentage point. And the reason is that a lot of the extra money that Americans spend as a consequence of this will drain out of the U.S. in the form of higher imports. And Americans will import a lot more goods from places like our neighbors, Canada and Mexico, but also China and Japan and Western Europe and other countries. So the Biden plan will have a positive impact on global growth, I think. And I wonder if you could touch upon some of the different economic sectors globally. Which of these were heavily impacted and which have actually been positively affected? Those parts of the economy that involved heavy levels of social interaction dropped precipitously. That meant people not going to restaurants or movie theaters or amusement parks. And so those industries suffered a catastrophic drop in activity and employment and revenue and profitability. And yet consumers in many countries, certainly here in the U.S. and also in Western Europe, got plenty of money from their governments. And a lot of that money got saved. And so personal savings has been huge during the past year. But a lot of it got spent on things that did not involve social interaction. So consumer spending on durable goods like automobiles and information technology and furniture. And here in the U.S., at least, there was a surge in house purchases. People decided if they're going to work from home, they might as well buy a bigger house with a nice home office. And people did. So we had kind of a bifurcated economy globally where services suffered grievously. But after an initial drop, spending on goods, durable goods especially, did very well. Non-durable goods, it was a mixed bag. People did not go to restaurants, so they bought a lot more food for the home. People did not buy a lot of clothing, because if you're not going anywhere, you don't really care how you look. So that was also part of the bifurcation. And then as far as business spending, businesses invested heavily in information technology, especially because so many of their employees were working from home. But businesses dramatically cut back on building new structures like office buildings, shopping centers, oil wells, and things of that nature. So my view is that even as we come out of the pandemic, ultimately, some of that bifurcation will persist because we'll probably see more people working from home and shopping from home and probably business people at least traveling less. And that will mean some stress for consumer-facing industries like shopping centers and airlines and hotels and so on. If we take the, the U.S., which is the biggest consumer of coffee, certainly a massive hospitality economy, how optimistic are you for people getting back to restaurants, getting back to cafes, I say, over the next 12 to 18 months? It really depends on how quickly we're able to get the, the virus behind us. If, for example, by September or October, you can say that we've effectively achieved herd immunity, that a large share of the population has been vaccinated, that the number of new infections and hospitalizations has dropped 
to a trivial level. If that's the case, then I assume that large numbers of people will feel comfortable that the virus is no longer a threat to them, and they will go out to restaurants and bars and so on. And so it really depends on how successful we are at getting this done. Okay. And what, what, what are the other sort of opportunities, you know, technology, the focus on sustainability? What are some of the other positives that, you know, may accrue to our economy over the next three to five years? Well, one argument that's been made is that the shift, the rapid shift toward online interaction by workers, by shoppers, and so on, has boosted productivity. And if we have a sustained increase in productivity, that boosts economic growth, it boosts living standards, it gives people more purchasing power. Another thing is that we are seeing governments, both here in North America and in Europe, and also in Japan and China, spending more on infrastructure, on worker retraining, on investment in technology. Those things, too, ought to boost productivity and boost living standards and boost economic growth. So those are some of the positives. But there are some negatives. If, in the course of interacting with the world online, we never get together in person with people again, that could have a negative impact on productivity. Because there's actually some evidence that Innovation takes place during informal moments. So, for example, you and I are right now interacting online, and when we're done, we'll hang up. But if we were together in the studio, at the end of this, we might go out for a coffee together. And during that time, we might chat about things and exchange ideas. It's in those moments when innovation takes place, and that's what leads to productivity gains. And we need to keep having those moments. So, we would lose a lot if we never interact personally, if we never travel again. Wonderful. Ira, that's been great. Can't thank you enough for being here today. Well, my pleasure. I've enjoyed it. We now turn our attention to the growth of the at-home coffee market by speaking with Phil McKnight, General Manager for Global Specialty Coffee at Breville. Breville is also known as Sage Appliances in the UK and Europe. As a leader in this space, with a 78% market share in its home market of Australia, Breville is going rapidly in other major markets. Phil began his career starting a specialty coffee cafe almost 20 years ago in Sydney, before joining Breville to help develop its domestic coffee machines. Phil is very optimistic about the future of this industry. In this interview, he explains why COVID has turned everyday coffee drinkers into enthusiasts, and why the overall coffee market is going to grow both at home and across the cafe counter. Delighted to be here today with Phil McKnight, General Manager for Global Specialty Coffee for Breville and Sage Appliances. Welcome, Phil. Hey, Jeffrey. It's very nice to join you and be invited to the fifth wave. Tell me about Breville's recent performance. How did the company fare through the pandemic? When you look at the first fiscal half of 2021 compared to the same fiscal half 2020, we're up. 29% in revenue and we're up 32% in EBITDA, which are really like quite incredible numbers. So this increase is a result of people spending a lot more time at home, people investing in primarily wanting to replicate what was their out-of-home experience now in their own homes. I think once that transition takes place, People will be looking to keep the experience going at home. I, I don't think that that's going to be a flash in the pan. And once the successful vaccines roll out, 
I don't think that making coffee at home in the unprecedented way that's happening now is going to change. I think that that's something that's here to stay and we even see that growing. So we're quite bullish on where we see the opportunities in this. Does this home coffee market growth have any implications on the amount that consumers will visit coffee shops in the long run? I just see the pie getting bigger because people will still want that social experience. I know I do. I I don't want to make all my coffees at home and and never go to a cafe or or an espresso bar again. I love the social side of it, the social experience, whether it's meeting friends there, whether it's actually just talking to people who are customers there the same as I am or speaking to the barista or speaking to the owners. It's the whole social side that's still a very important part of those business models. I think there's room for both experiences and I think just generally consumption is going to grow. What are the other positive factors beyond COVID? Are there any other shining lights uh, in terms of why this growth is going to be sustainable? Clearly, people are spending a lot more time at home and getting to know more about coffee. Yeah, look, I think you you probably touched on one of the big drivers and that's the whole you know artisanal nature of things. It's like there's nothing more satisfying than when you produce the outcome yourself rather than something store-bought. I've taught a lot of people how to make coffee over the years and when they've got a cup of well-extracted espresso and then they've got a, a pitcher of really nicely textured milk and they put the two of them together and just a simple dot in the centre of the cup, nothing fancy, the look on their face and just the sense of satisfaction that I actually made this myself and when I look at it and when I taste it, it's as good as I can get from my local cafe and the barista who's got literally years and thousands of hours of experience. So I think that's a lot to do with it. And what about technology? You know, the trend towards people buying direct versus buying through retailers and department stores. Is that something that's changing? There's definitely a lot more online activity happening. I wouldn't say a lot of it is happening, you know, direct in our business. It's not something that we've been actively pursuing. You know, we support our retail partners wholeheartedly and we're not in competition with them. But we do see our retail partners doing a lot more business online than they did traditionally in bricks and mortar. And I think that the digital experience that they're having to provide their consumers now is unparalleled because people need the information to make an informed decision if if they're not going to visit a store to actually transact the purchase. So, yeah, so they're having to provide better experiences, more in-depth, richer content, more engaging. So consumers, they sort of feel the same love online that they would if they walked into a bricks-and-mortar store and um, and a sales associate looked after them personally. Okay, so e-commerce itself could be an enabler of further growth and clearly that means richer information for coffee drinkers. Well, I, I, I definitely hear from friends that, Yeah, now that um, my wife's working at home, she appears to have more time to research shopping and definitely the credit card is getting a bit more of a hammering than it used to. Wow. And that's like, I I heard that today from someone. So, and it's not the first, (laughs) first person to mention it to me. Are there any other consumer trends that you're seeing out there in the Australian market, which tends to be a leader in terms of artisan specialty coffee? Or are there any other interesting trends that you're seeing abroad? A couple of things stand out to me and that's that no one is frightened to offer coffee at extremely high prices. You know, if you went back five years and someone said to you, 
that I, I could walk into an espresso bar in Sydney and someone could offer me a coffee that was going to cost $18, you would have just said, well, that's, that's, that's not something that's ever going to happen. But it's actually commonplace now. Interesting. So any other trends? I see quite an explosion in the coffee subscription space. It's become, I think, quite prevalent in the last sort of 12 to 18 months where every month you can get your, your favourite coffee delivered from your favourite roaster to your door for not much more than you'd pay for it if you had to go and walk down the street and get it. And then the selection that's available online is quite extensive. You know, the services that do it well also, they mix it up so that you can experience something different every month if you wish. Again, it's, uh, yeah, it's very personalised. You can describe the tastes you'd like to experience, you know, the flavour notes, the aromas, and then the roaster will suggest uh, a coffee that fits, you know, the profile that you've selected. So it's, it's very, very, very personalised. So that's another trend that I see happening is, you know, personalisation is um, such a big thing. And that's not just in coffee, that's across you know, many, many categories of, of consumer goods is, um, is personalisations. Phil, I can't thank you enough for joining us here today at Fifth Wave. Uh, you're welcome, Jeffrey. It's been my pleasure. To wrap things up, we speak with Darren Levy, CEO of Vida e Café. Vida was one of the first cafes to bring espresso-based coffees to South Africa's high streets 20 years ago. The company grew quickly, and as of last year, they were operating over 300 stores across South Africa and a further 22 stores across other nations in Africa. In this interview, we hear how COVID halted Vida's revenues overnight. But shortly after, the company found lots of new opportunities within its business, and now the company is as strong as ever. As you'll hear, the key to Vida Cafe's success was the many innovations put into motion even before COVID. New product categories, new technologies, and synergistic partnerships with complementary non-coffee retailers. Welcome, Darren. Thank you, Jeff. Could you share a little bit about how COVID impacted your business? I guess like any business, you've never been through this before. You've never even planned that you would have zero turnover. And that's in fact what happened. We went through an extensive period of hard lockdown. And then towards the beginning of May, started to ease up in terms of the restrictions. But yes, simplistically, the business stopped. And as someone once said to me, how was business early in April? And my only answer to them was, we sold no coffees yesterday, which I hope is um, the last time I'm going to have to say that. You know, our topic of grounds for optimism as a CEO of the uh, largest coffee chain in Africa, what are you feeling about the sort of the landscape ahead, certainly in the next six months? I'm extremely optimistic. As we stand now, we are a better and stronger business. Turnover in certain areas is still under pressure. As you know, there's still a strong work from home culture. There still are limitations on gatherings and on travels, but we have many other stores that have gone through a process of reevaluation and restructuring very detailed analysis. And with less turnover, now is more profitable. We had a lot of new stores in the pipeline, notwithstanding the lockdown. We opened over 25 stores last year. And I guess the reason I mention it is because in those stores themselves was a level of innovation. We had in the planning and we decided to push the button late last year to open the first high street coffee drive-through in the country, which we were very proud of, which is you know, definitely one of the big successes. 
In addition to that, in terms of stores, we, we opened what is our biggest store in, in Kauteng on the back of strategy to open these bigger stores because we believe that people were starting to use our stores for different reasons. As you know, our store is very fast-paced, it's very grab-and-go. So we opened a store that was significantly big enough to allow people to dwell and, most importantly, to work. An example of a particular element is a boardroom, which is being used extensively now during work-from-home situations. But in terms of new products, analyzing our at-home consumption patterns, and as such, we've had to really look at how do we reach our customer. So the first significant innovation, which again we launched in October, November of 2019, was a delivery service. And uh, it was quite a long decision and a big planning process. You know, how do you deliver an in-store quality cappuccino or, or maidalay, which is our signature portado drink, along with food? But we spent numerous weeks and tests and trials. And I can honestly say that the delivery part of our business, it's grown in excess of 500% since those wow. COVID periods. As people are at home, they're working at home, they want their muffins and coffees delivered for meetings or afternoon pickup of a smoothie or a cold cafe. So that's been really strong. But over the period, you know, not just hot and ready-made food, is the development of our retail or FMCG range, which is, again, somewhat of a global trend. We had developed capsules and beans already on shelf, and in the pipeline were various developments as we saw this trend of coffee at home growing. We had launched our ready-to-drink coffees, which were on shelf, so we launched that on the back end of, of last year, and I'm proud to announce that that's going on to most retailers' shelves in the next couple of weeks, which we're enormously excited about. We kicked off a trend of CBD coffee products in our stores, which um, is surprisingly also grown enormously, uh, which I think everybody has enjoyed to offset a little bit of the, the stress of the lockdown. Yes, all that um, home anxiety. Exactly. No THC, I might add, involved at all, which some people were asking about, but we're not allowed to do that. We packaged our signature hot chocolate and chai latte powders. And last but certainly not least, we'll be the first specialty instant coffee on shelf, which we've been watching carefully as a global trend. And we've been working on that for some time to develop the Vida specialty freeze-dried instant coffee, which again will just complement our family of Vida at home um, products. Wow, there's just so many new products and new channels. <laughs> I'd like to talk a little bit about technology and how you see technology being key within your business over the next few years. We were the first coffee chain in South Africa to launch a, a mobile app. What the app allows you to do, um, more than just the importance of transacting and rewarding through loyalty, is collect data and understand customer patterns. And based on that, our business has become far more analytical. We've not only been able to identify and track people's behavior in terms of spending patterns, but also shape promotions and where and how and what is being purchased. Spend on the app, as maybe you would assume from a loyal customer, is per capita a lot higher than walk-in customers. What about local stores versus central business district stores? Have you seen uh, you know, a real swing to local venues in your trading data? The shift has been quite radical. What you've seen is a shift to two particular types of locations. The one is your sort of neighborhood convenience center, where, where customers are spending a lot more of their time and not getting up early in the morning and traveling to work. 
customers are arriving at us instead of between six and eight in the morning are sort of arriving at seven thirty, nine thirty for their first coffee and working and then you know, typically returning home to work. And, and then what we're seeing is a pickup in the afternoon again as customers return for afternoon snacks and, and beverages. So that's been the one shift um, into specific locations. The second location, which you'll know all too well, is stores that we fortunately have in recreational areas. So this, you know, the surf um, haven of Musenberg, where customers have been locked up and can't get into gyms, can't get into yoga studios. So the amount of outdoor activity in terms of running and cycling and swimming, where so those stores are actually tracking ahead of pre-COVID levels, which has obviously been a huge success story. Do you expect to add new net stores in 2021? Yeah, we opened a store today in the Midrand in Gauteng, and then we have a very successful partnership with the largest home do-it-yourself chain in South Africa called Builders Warehouse. And fortunately, another great pick and a very, very valuable partner. Um, it's the one oh, yeah. non-cafe retail that has actually grown in this period. So we're in the sweet spot of where people want to shop, look after, develop, improve their households. And yeah, we're up to, I think, 15 or 16 stores with them. And I think there's another five or 10 to go. Just wishing you and the business incredibly good luck, good fortune and good results. Great. Thank you very much. And that's all this week for Fifth Wave Podcast. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed the show. Also, get in touch and tell us what topics are important to you so I can make the podcast more relevant to you and to your business. You can follow the link in the show notes to worldcopyportal.com slash fifthwave. This episode was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. Today we leave you with a great track from New York-based artist Kirsten Iser. It's called Coffee to Go in partnership with the Coffee Music Project. Have a great week, and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated.
talking to you. It's time.